Greetings, children, and dare you step inside the vegan abattoir. I'm Kevin Smith. And I'm Harley Quinn Smith. Um, all right, man. My fucking week got ruined, so I'm going to ruin everybody else's <laughs> week. I was just living my life, my best vegan life, enjoying my my best vegan existence. <laughs> and some fucking crusader, some fucking social justice warrior bombed my fucking twi- uh, text with a horrible video of, I guess, what what would you call it? The reality behind the agriculture. Yeah. Uh, honey just got killed for me this week, kids. One of the sweetest things in life was also taken away because Harley gave me this video that was like, this is how they get the honey for your fucking honey nut Cheerios, you <laughs> inhuman piece of shit. And then they showed bee torture porn. Yeah. Shit that looked like it was out of fucking a uh, hostel, but an all bee cast. But an all bee cast. And at the base of it all, like the... They're like, oh, my God, how horrible, but not nearly as bad as some of the other shit they did is they clipped the queen's wings so she can't go anywhere. It was so sad. So fucking sad. Worse than that is like, watch as they pump these drones, steal their cum and force impregnate the queen. I'm like, I fucking (laughs) like honey enough to go through this, man. The one that I went to sleep thinking last night was um, they they opened the video with like studies have shown that bees have fucking Mm. functioning brain and central nervous system and. You know, all a lot of the same things that human beings have, including feelings, emotions. And they said bees, you know, in studies, they've proven that bees can feel pessimism. Mm-hmm. That's how they know that they have emotions is because. Because bees are like, what's the fucking point? Yeah, <laughs> it's because they're emo. <laughs> yeah, they're very like Harley in high school. She's like, why bother, man? Start a bass. It's true. Start a bass. Start a band. <laughs> <laughs> Start playing the bass. Start a band. <laughs> um so fucking sad like i and you know normally i'm like insects fuck them what do i care i don't kill them you i save them but i don't like i'm not i don't truck with these save the insect crowd i'm like hey man if they come in here i trap things and set them out i'm not a political person when it comes to the insects and really i just i disagree though be really you go to you go the extra mile to put the ants what is the outside extra- <laughs> that's true I-, I talked about it on uh wake and bake um ants that pop up on my desk um i've got all these index cards here and you know they're white and ants are blacks so they show up against it and so i put the index card in front of the ant until it walks on the index card sometimes it takes a minute because they're like ah terrifying giant white thing from fucking above and they Makes think they're sense. being killed or something like that. But finally, you know, they're fucking running in circles. And I got the upper hand because I'm just so huge. Um, they finally run onto the card. And then I take the card, turn around and put it on the floor where it joins a bunch of other ants. Like, holy fuck. And with a story to tell. To go back to the hive to be like, they're not all bad. <laughs> One gave him a, a magic elevator ride. He saved my life. Um. I I don't want to expose myself, um, but I don't do that. <laughs> no, the balls on you sending me this fucking look how they treat bees video. When meanwhile down there, you're like the Hitler of ants and shit. They bother cinnamon, and then that's all it takes. You bother my bunny, 
You have no right to live. I mean, I gotta protect my my child. Next, from bees up to horses, Where does it end? Where does it end? Okay, it wouldn't go that far. And what is that? What's the old adage? You know, they came for my neighbors, and I said nothing. They came for my friends, and I said nothing. And when they came for me. No one was left to say anything. <laughs> so if you're out there fucking going, save them bees. Stop. Stop with all this being nonsense. Be better. <laughs> That's Harley Quinn's campaign. <laughs> then if you're that person, then you got to fucking find a better way to deal. Maybe uh, cinnamon should be on a raised platform. So it's not right there on the floor. We they live can climb, you know? on the ant's home. It would be as if somebody built a giant home on top of our home. And they were like, you inconvenient fucking pesky things. Like, they I were know. here before us. And, and California, particularly this section of California, rests on the biggest ant hive in North America. That's, what? It, it, it goes from here to, like, Arizona. All these ants, they're, they're they're everywhere. It's not like a little pocket. That's why they're it's just fucking. That's why when I pick one up and save one off the desk, it's such a big fucking deal in their world. Because they're like, we're normally just fucking you know cannon fodder nobody gives a fuck about a soldier ant but this giant benevolent god he picks <laughs> us up on his white card and he puts us onto the floor and we live you just maybe they the break from god. the hive <laughs> they could break from the hive at that point and be like fuck hive mentality man this guy's showing me the way kindness love you would think <laughs> <laughs> i've seen a lot of movies you would that's what they do in all the think cartoons that you are the man. ants benevolent <laughs> i don't i i'm not proud of it and i and i don't do it with any other insect i you shouldn't if, do it at all if there's if you bee can't or make a spider a thing, you shouldn't take a thing out of this world if you can't if you can replace the ants that you're taking out somewhere down the road where you're like i will just cast a spell and i will make five million ants okay well, but you can't do that. Then you're getting into that heavy duty witchcraft. It's one thing to have stones and fucking like, ooh, the planets. But once you start getting into, oh, my sweet Satan, bring back five million ants that I killed. <laughs> That's my worst nightmare. I also am what, like. dealing with Satan? Mine too. No, ants. Five million ants. <laughs> oh, sweet Satan, kill these five million ants under Satan's my. Satan's fine. I also. just going about their business, doing their thing. I'm, I'm. Didn't you ever watch, you know what your problem was? You weren't, you weren't raised on Fraggle Rock. And that's my fault. I never made you watch Fraggle Rock. Because in Fraggle Rock, the Fraggles lived under like the man's house and the man had a dog and the dog knew the fraggles were there what, but the man what was is a, real a fraggle man. it's a little muppet character is oh. a jim henson show that was on hbo years ago back in the 80s so the fraggles uh lived there they loved the radishes and shit like that but in a frag so they're kind of little things that lived in the floorboards of a motherfucker's house the Fraggles had their own issues to deal with. They had these tiny characters that were small to them even. And the Fraggles, mind you, are like this big. And I'm holding up on the podcast in case you can't see. Most people listening, they, <laughs> they understand a Fraggle, but it's about four see. inches. Um, they had doozers. And doozers just do. And so all they would do is build these structures, like anthills essentially, all throughout Fraggle Rock. But Fraggles... Uh, treated that shit like it was a, like candy. So they'd be walking past, doozers would be building something, and they'd grab it and start eating the fucking building. And the doozers never bitched. They were just like, okay, let's do it. And they'd build more and shit. The ants are like the doozers. You're like the fraggles. 
And there's there's always a bigger fish. We learned that in the fucking Star Wars prequel trilogies, man. Liam Neeson taught us that. Um, okay. So. <laughs> Save the ants. Save the ants. I'm telling I'll you, you got to find be, a different way. I'll try to be more compassionate towards ants. This I, is honestly the biggest. You know what? I'm going to let you finish because, number one, I saw in the comments that I, I'm always cutting you off. I only saw that because my kids sent it. Because they sent it. <laughs> so good. That was yourself. one of a few comments. Of what? People going, he cut you off a lot. Mm -hmm. I get that on all the podcasts. You think I'm going to change now? I'm an old man. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> 50, I'm about to be 50. No, here I am. Hey, look at me. I'm fucking changing. If I can change how I feel about honey because you sent me a horrifying torture porn video, <laughs> I'm going to change the way I interact with you. Go ahead, finish your thought. But then I got a real good one. Wow, thanks. <laughs> Um, I just want to say, um, I'll try to be more compassionate towards ants, but it is a matter of protecting my own child. The ants don't go for the rabbit. They do. They're in her fur. They go in her fur. And then I. Yeah, but then they'll get out. They're but just like exploring. They itch like, her. Food. They itch her and yeah, she's confused. She goes, and she's confused. She knows damn well what an ant is. She's like, oh, it's like they come out the ground and shit. She does not know that she's, she's like, a domestic oh, rabbit. Yeah, but, you know, over the years she's been here, I'm sure she's like, oh, it's my friend the ants. And you're like, kill them all. And she's no. like, no, I'm alone again. No. <laughs> but also, when I was younger, I was extremely scarred because, and I've definitely said this many times to you, maybe you don't remember. Here we go, kids. This is, if this happened An to you. An ant went on my sandwich and I said, that's it. No. Never again. And no. Getting forward. I was an enemy of the ants. You're not doing a good job. Go ahead. <laughs> what happened to you? What happened to you? Um, <clears throat> it was the middle of the night that yeah. I got up yeah. to get some water. Yeah. And I saw a cup, but it was very dark. Uh -huh. And I took a sip out of the cup. Right. And then I turned the lights on. And it was covered with ants. It, like, it, was, <laughs> it wasn't covered, <laughs> but it was literally <laughs> like... <laughs> Like hundreds of ants in this cup. It was so scary. Imagine how scary it was for the ones that went down your gullet who were just like, we were alive and now we're dead. Burning in acids. Why? What did we do? Uh, I mean. <laughs> the story goes both ways. I, it's, it was terrifying. I'm sure. Look, nobody wants a bug in their mouths. I've had uh, many fucking, you know, over the course of my life. Not many, but enough to be like, I'll keep my mouth shut whenever there's insects around and shit. And. I'll always turn the light on before I put water in, in a sip. Well, of now cup. I know. When did you learn that? Um, like single digits. Uh, more more around like twelve, maybe ten, twelve. So like ten, nine, ten years on, you're uh -huh. still like, and that's why I hate these ant motherfuckers. I always shine a flashlight in every drink I ever Good. smart drank from smart. then That'll on. That'll keep you from fucking safe at clubs. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm frequenting. Yeah, whenever you're at the club and somebody's like, hey, kitty, you want a drink? And you're like, ever since I drank ants when I was a child, <laughs> I put a flashlight in everything. This guy, Rufy, you piece of shit, get him out of here. Look, I ain't telling anyone what to do in life except this. Avoid that B video at all costs that if you was like so honey. so sad. It was so, so upsetting. Like, I didn't congrats know. Congrats to the B video makers. 
they've they've effectively changed my way of thinking and that's exactly what they wanted to do with that video they weren't like you decide they were like look at this fucking cripple <laughs> bee you piece of shit how much do you want a graham cracker you fucking dick it's true it never again not. <laughs> never again i'll have him dry no more honey grams i swear there's not much of a choice <laughs> age 50 man i'm just gonna put honey Get, is there another way is it only bees can't they make that shit from a pea protein as well like a beyond burger <laughs> when can we get back honey to honey Oh my god, by the way, yes. I found a place that makes sloppy joes out of Beyond Burgers, which might change my entire where? life. Where? Like, I ain't even fucking around. I just got serious where I'm like, fuck, <laughs> I know. fuck all the jokes, where is this place? Because I was just beginning a fast today, but now I'm like, I'm no, not so sure. I'm ordering from it today, later. That's genius. And the same place yeah. has poutine. That's cool. I'm not, I've had vegan poutine. I'm not so... I love you're more of the, Routine. I was okay to leave gravy behind when I left behind uh, the animal food products, but you still I love, love brown gravy. gravy when they make it out of like mushrooms. And shit, I but, oh, because you don't like mushrooms. Yeah, I shouldn't fucking skeeve on mushrooms, yeah, but yeah. I'll tell you what right now, I, I ain't shitting on the poutine. That's good and whatnot, but that sloppy joe is a game changer and it is low hanging fruit where you're like, of course, of course it exists. Like you got those fucking beyond meat crumbles. You throw some sloppy Joe mix in it, ba bang! It's it's gonna be magical. I, I we used to eat to it that. all the time. You know what? I was I was I'm mere days away from my fiftieth birthday, mm-hmm. and I was like, I was feeling as pessimistic as a fucking bee. I was like, what's the point, man? <laughs> now, but now, <laughs> vegan sloppy Joes to look forward to new purpose. We still haven't sampled the vegan chicken, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Oh my! Do you think they still have it? I hope. I really hope. You think it was a one week only thing? Well, because it. Uh, Should have fucking put it on my social media because then somebody might have been like, come get a bucket. I know. But they do have vegan chicken at El Pollo Loco now. And it looks pretty nice. As we learned from your buddy. As we learned, yes. But it looks pretty nice. Have you tried it? I haven't tried it, but it looks really good. So there is a lot to try. I'm telling you, that green bucket at KFC, though, that's smart marketing. Because right it away, is- I was like, green is the color of chicken that I want. It's true. <laughs> it is good marketing. Um, going back to a point I was going to interrupt you to make a long time ago. <laughs> yes. The biggest fight that me and your mother have these days is literally over the ants. It's a seasonal fight. I know. I've witnessed it. It's because it fucking blows my mind that she can't like just, you know, she'll open the dog food and then pour it into like a, a conveyance to give it to the dogs. Then she'll leave the can or container mm-hmm. st- sitting on a And that, for whatever reason... Like you could put a pile of sugar on the fucking table and ants won't come, but you put like just a dollop, a drop. That shit must be like, that's porn for ants because, oh my God, they come fucking swarming. So if you do it at night, let's say you fed the dogs at like five o'clock at night and then you never really went back into the kitchen that you didn't fucking put that thing. Even if you put it in the recycling, the ants come, but if you put it in on the fucking table, it's just this fucking swarm of ants and you see a thick line coming from like outside and it's so, and I don't, I can't deal with it. Like I, I won't deal with it. Cause I'm like, I well, can't deal with it either. this is not what I, I, this ain't my fault because I always make the dogs lick out the fucking containers and then put them in the garbage and shit. So the ants show up and they're like, Oh, nuts. <laughs> the fucking mom. Oh, and she leaves the fork there and shit. And so then she's like, I'll deal with it. But I'm like, yeah, but I know how you're going to deal with it. They're all going to die. And this didn't have to happen if you just put the fucking thing in the garbage can responsibly. And she's like, 
I can never do anything fucking right. And I'm like, this ain't everything. This is just one fucking thing that like, like, don't like, don't you feel bad fucking taking out all those ants just because like. I've seen the ant fights in real time. Oh it's, it's not good. And she will look at me like he's fucking crazy. It's, like, it's really bad. Um, <laughs> the uh, one of the other comments that was repeated uh, in the reviews or at least repeated twice because they were both sent to me um, <laughs> by my my. No, there were more than two co-hosts. There were there were more than two. Um, a bunch I just of didn't want to brag that they like the interviews. Mm-hmm. I t- and I if I will take you back to the beginning of this process where I was like, you will do the interviews by yourself and that will give you a place to shine where I won't be talking over you. It's and that's true. exactly what people are it. saying where they're like, I like the interviews because fucking big mouth, mouthy, big mouth, flappy lips. ain't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, someone also said that we say that we say fuck too much. I believe that. I mean, having just watched my Comic-Con panel that like Comic-Con International was like, if it's going up on our channel, we have to bleep it. And we were like, go ahead. And the whole fucking thing is beep, 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 beep. It sounds like a baby grabbed a cell phone and just started mashing buttons. Beep, 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 reboot. Beep, 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 Jane Silent Bob. Beep, 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 reboot. It is, yeah, apparently we do. Well, maybe we should be conscious of that because there are young listeners who are like, I'm curious about veganism, but I am not curious about what the F word means. Mom! That's true. Um, but at the same time, like fucking vegan abattoir. It's in the name. <laughs> abattoir. You're going to come in here and be like, I'm surprised they used a, an offensive word. This is our. This is where we fucking slaughter misinformation safe from metal time to space. time. Yes. <laughs> from time put to your time. bullshit until On we get occasion. yelled at about using bad language. <laughs> We're committed to our cause until you write in the reviews enough that we should change our ways and then we'll change. <laughs> it's so true. Um, we'll try to curse less. I mean, that's a fairly good point. But like, you know, you're 21. Like, it's no longer like people can't be like, oh, to curse with your daughter, your baby daughter. I'm like, well, she's 21. That's her. She curses like a longshoreman. Not my fault. Like <laughs> <Go> what? <laughs> longshoreman. What is that? <laughs> There's somebody who works on the docks. And back in the day, that was how that was a register of cursing. There was a time in this country when people did not curse, let alone use the fuck word. It was wow. in my lifetime. In the 70s is where they really, I mean, probably people would argue the 60s. But the 70s is where fuck proliferated a bunch. But even then, it was like, you know, you couldn't fucking ever say it on TV. It wasn't until HBO came along where suddenly Mm. people could say fuck on TV. That's true. And now the discourse, you know, has dropped. But I I prefer that. Not that the discourse has dropped, but I prefer the colloquialism of, of swears, of cursing. I do, too. It's more comfortable for me. So never mind. Fuck yeah. that. Yeah, see what I'm saying? Look at that. <laughs> you fucking, even at 21, I'm still fathering. Uh, on the show, uh, people look forward to apparently to this part of the show where I fuck off. So I don't know how to feel about that. But I'm proud, you know, because my kid's uh, spreading her wings and fucking flying on her own, asking questions and shit. She has a lot of help from an editor. Hey. I mean, I have, to, I have gone in there and... and made them tight and stuff but it's all her hey her questions just can you just give me a compliment you shine. for once <laughs> uh but this is the first one let me see first i ain't gonna touch this interview i'm gonna let it go up like because this is you talking to a goddamn legend it's true 
a man uh, who has done so much uh, for the um, animal community. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly like right here. And, they, and is he involved with the one back East too? Mm-hmm. Um, so he knows John Stewart. Mm-hmm. Any friend of John Stewart's is a friend <laughs> of mine. There's a motherfucker we should get on the show. Oh, that's so true. You know what I'm saying? <gasps> you were in a movie with him when you were a child. Was I? Yeah. He's in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. You played baby is Silent he? Bob and he was, uh, he played a newsman. And he was baby Jay. <laughs> yeah. There's baby Jay sitting right next to you and shit. You go and you talk to the head a farm sanctuary co-founder farm sanctuary for those that don't know um i went to one out here the kid brought me to one we did a a, a campaign for the farm sanctuary around thanksgiving uh, not last year i think but the year before right after my heart attack when i'd gone vegan and so it was a love a turkey campaign don't eat a turkey love a turkey and we got to hang out with some turkeys <laughs> and give them hugs and shit and and see that like you know oh look at the bird behind your your fucking annual dinner you dicks and to be fair, I you know I had turkey way more than just on Thanksgiving, so um, I got to go to the farm sanctuary and and see all the animals, and they had this gigantic fucking cow or steer, mm-hmm. like this magnificent, like almost like elephant sized, two thousand pounds. Fuck, he was big, man, just living his best life, never his having to worry about like one day they're gonna fucking eat me. Isn't that so cool? No pessimism there. He's not like a bee no. going. What's the fucking point? He's just like. Bah! free but seriously except well except he wasn't (laughs) but um farm sanctuary wonderful organization they got one out here they got one back east too in Mm -hmm. new New jersey not in new jersey in upstate new york and john stewart does something to do with it of the sort um you know like save a cow and bring it there you're asking me a lot of questions i know (laughs) i was hoping you would slaughter some misinformation for me but instead we should really change the 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 motto to fostering misinformation (laughs) (laughs) i'm not well versed in the history of every sanctuary i just (laughs) this one you know though she's been to the one out here quite a bunch. many times what do you do when you go out there tell people the like what's the average visit okay so you go and um one of the lovely people who worked there, I've, I've met so many amazing people who worked there who are now many of my friends, um, but they will take you around from from area to area. So there's the pigs area and the cows and the the birds and the goats and sheep. And you'll go from area. Are you sure this isn't the fucking see and say the farmer says? You just listed everything on that. The the cow says. They're all there. <laughs> They're the all there. Point, 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 point. It's basically that. It's the meerkat awesome. says. <laughs> they do. They don't have any meerkats there, though, right? They don't have any meerkats. They do have a llama, though. They have a llama? His name's Yoda. Somebody whipped out a llama. They were like, I'm done with this. I guess Tossed so. Tossed the curb. Yeah. Llama was like, Meh. Yeah, basically. <laughs> He's really aggressive, too. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, you'd be, too, if you got fucking bounced to the curb and shit. That's true. You can't really go up Probably got. They probably ditched the llama for a younger, hotter alpaca. That's instead. true. <laughs> like, so typical. This is so sad. <laughs> I'm going to live with a 2,000-pound boar. Boar. Bear. Boar. Bear. Bear. Cow. Cow. It was a girl? I thought no, it was a boy. It, it, if it's it is. a boy, it's a bull, right? Yeah, he is a boy. Teach me about our first uh, guest, our only guest today, our- the guest today, <laughs> our main guest, the man himself, co-founder of the Animal Sanctuary, Gene Bauer. 
Oh, that was not a lead in. No, <laughs> <laughs> that was the lead in to you to say a few things. And then we hand over to your interview. We thought that was the lead in. <laughs> You're like, I'm done. Oh, no, I've got more to do. Um, okay. You've so known this cat for a little while. I've known him for a while. Um, I started working with the farm sanctuary uh, many years ago, early on in in the vegan journey. He, he's a vegan as well, right? You'd have to be to be part of the the longest time vegan. He goes deep. He goes way back. You couldn't really be at the animal sanctuary and be like, "Good night, everybody," and then like hit McDonald's on the way home, and be like, "I fucking love eating meat." That would be pretty. Oh my awful. god, I, fucking, I love eating meat. <laughs> that would be so. <laughs> Uh, co-founder Gene Bauer sat down with our very own uh, Harley Quinn Smith, and this is the conversation they had. Our guest today is someone who is a constant inspiration and a guru to me. I've been lucky enough to sit down with him before at Veggie Grill and casually talk about the importance of California's Prop 12 back in 2018, which was a law that established new minimum requirements on farmers to provide more space for egg-laying hens, breeding pigs, and calves raised for veal, which of course passed. I've also been to his sanctuary more times than I can count and have created such special relationships with the humans and the animals at the sanctuary. I am, of course, talking about my friend, the incredible activist and president and co-founder of Farm Sanctuary, Gene Bauer. Hey, Harley. It's great to be with you here. I'm so excited to talk to you. I, I just mentioned this before, but you have been on my list always uh, for who I wanted to have on the show first. I looked up to you for so long in the farm sanctuary has always been so close to my heart. I love everyone there, including all the amazing animals. And I'm just so excited to be talking to you today. You know, it's always great to talk with you. And I love your voice out there, how you are helping to raise awareness. And, and I love spending time with you and, and just working together to, pr to promote a more compassionate world. So it's it's always great to be with you, uh, and uh, thank you for everything you do. Oh my gosh, thank you for everything you do. Um, you have been doing this uh, for so much longer than I have, and so I look up to everything that you have accomplished. But I would like to go back to the beginning. Um, as legend has it, you sold vegan hot dogs out of your van at Grateful Dead concerts in the 80s to fund Farm Sanctuary. Is that true? Because that is by far the coolest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is absolutely true. Back from about 1986 to 1989, we traveled mainly on the East Coast with our Volkswagen van. I sold veggie hot dogs at Grateful Dead shows with our big meatless hot dog sign. And in addition to selling the veggie dogs, which is a way that we were raising money for Farm Sanctuary, we were also doing education. And we had literature, we had photos of factory farming, and sort of doing education and outreach as well as selling veggie dogs. But that is, in fact, how Farm Sanctuary was funded in the early days. And that is the same band we used to do our investigations of factory farms. That is just so iconic and amazing that it all started at Grateful Dead concerts selling vegan hot dogs. I think that is the coolest thing ever, honestly. Um, so as you mentioned, education is a huge part of your mission. I know at the Farm Sanctuary here in Acton, California, there's a whole educational part of the tour um, that tells you information about Things like gestation crates and just the, the real life cruelty of, of, um, of farms and animal agriculture. 
Um, has that always been a really important aspect of activism for you to provide that education to people who want to hear it? Yes, absolutely. In fact, when we first started Farm Sanctuary, our belief was that we could document conditions in factory farms. So we spent a lot of time investigating these places. And we felt that if we, if we showed people what was happening, they wouldn't want to support it. And so I think it is still important to show people what is happening and to educate people. But it's also important to show people how they can make a difference because, you know, we are such creatures of habit. We grow up believing certain things and doing certain things. And if everybody around us is also doing the same thing, such as eating meat, for example, it's not easy to change. And so I think in addition to education, we need to work on systems and structural changes. But education is absolutely critical. It always, I think, has been for Farm Sanctuary. And I believe that when people know more and know better, they can do better. And so I think education is always important, but there are other things that are also important to really create the change we want to see in the world. Can you talk about those other things that you think are important as well as education? Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, in the U.S., yeah, most states have passed laws to exclude farm animals from basic humane laws. And so that is a problem. And at the federal level, farm animals are excluded from the Federal Animal Welfare Act. And at the same time, we have states trying to pass laws, ag gag laws, to make it illegal to document conditions so that consumers are kept in the dark about what is happening. So these are some systems and structures that have created problems. And I think that as um, we've been able to pass some laws, like the one you referred to in California, to outlaw some of the worst confinement systems, uh, there will be pressure against the industry to start making changes in terms of their production practices. But at the same time, I think one of the biggest challenges we face and the problems we face is that today the government is spending billions of dollars every year to bolster animal agriculture. And so it's profitable. Uh, but animal agriculture is inherently inefficient. So if this industry had to pay the true cost of raising animals and growing all the feed crops that they have to grow, um, and if they had to pay for their external costs, such as the pollution and the harm they cause to the environment and the health harm that is caused by eating animal products, it would be an extremely expensive business. So um, what we need to do, I believe, is start changing the, the federal subsidy structure to stop enabling this industrial animal agriculture system, which is incredibly harmful, and start instead incentivizing plant-based agriculture. And that means helping farmers transition out of animal agriculture to plant-based. And, you know, as an example of this, you know, I wrote a piece a, a little while ago looking at subsidies in the dairy industry. And there was a report that showed the dairy industry income was mainly from government programs. In fact, 73% of dairy industry income came from government programs. Now that's not sustainable. Wow. So we need to shift, but, but so, so that is a huge structure in a system that needs to be addressed. And, and in addition to financial support for this industry, um, there's also marketing support, you know, where, for example, people are given cow's milk 
in the school lunch program. And that's a way to purchase excess dairy products and then to continue marketing them uh, and building a market for these animal products. So that's another structure that we need to address and ultimately need to change. Yeah. And animal cruelty is just so extremely implemented and normalized in our society. And a lot of the times I find that people don't even make the connection with the cruelty that happens in these industries um, with what they're eating. A lot of people just can't even make that connection, which I was one of those people as well before I went vegan. I, I didn't understand the connection because we have been fed this information for so long that it's okay to drink dairy and dairy makes your bones strong and makes you grow and, and meat's good for you and healthy and everything, which um, is obviously all lies. <laughs> um, yes. Well, those are some of those belief systems, right? So there's economic systems and government structures and so on. And then there are also belief systems, you know, and, you know, this idea, like you say, that drinking cow's milk is healthy for our bones, which is absolutely not the case, but that's what we're told over and over again. And many people believe it. But if you step back and think about it in our country, we drink a lot of cow's milk and we also get a lot of osteoporosis. And also when you think about it critically, is cow's milk really meant for human beings? No, (laughs) obviously not. It's meant for baby cows. (laughs) You know, so, so these are the, you know, critical thinking is one of those things that we're very much about encouraging. That has always honestly been one of the things that blows my mind the most. And it really, I made the connection once I did start regularly going to the farm sanctuary in Acton when I saw how big all the cows could grow to. Some of them are 2,000 pounds. And just thinking to myself, how in the world is it a part of society for us to believe that it's okay to drink this being's milk that is supposed to make a baby cow grow to 2,000 pounds? That is so nuts. And when you think about it like that, it's so hard to understand how that became a normalized belief that we are supposed to drink this milk. It's good for us, even though it's supposed to make another creature grow up to 2000 pounds. And I really like did not even make that connection until I went to your sanctuary and saw with my own eyes how absolutely gigantic cows are supposed to be. Yes, yes. You know, it really is astounding how human beings can become such creatures of habit and sort of you know, act in ways that are so harmful without really even recognizing or thinking about it. And, you know, we're also very much social animals. So if everybody is doing something, uh, we tend to think it's what you're supposed to do. And, you know, we grow up, you know, I grow up eating animal products without thinking about it. So um, it requires sometimes an external voice or an event, some sort of pressure to get people to open their eyes and think about these issues. But yeah, it really is pretty amazing how capable we are of, as a species of ignoring things that are pretty obvious when we start looking and paying attention. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that is one of the most important parts about your sanctuary, like I said, is that you really are opening people's eyes in a in a very peaceful and compassionate way simply by allowing us to connect with the animals that suffer the most. And I've always appreciated that aspect of your activism and of your sanctuary so much because it really does allow people to make that connection between cruelty and the living beings that are experiencing it. 
Yes. And all these animals are refugees, in a sense, of an abusive system. And, you know, when they first come to Farm Sanctuary, they had been horribly abused. Their only experience with people was painful and frightening and, and, and horrible. And so it takes them a while sometimes to warm up and to learn that they can trust us and to feel like they're in a safe place. And what's, I think, really remarkable in many cases is that one way that these new arriving animals start becoming comfortable with being at Farm Sanctuary is that they recognize that the other animals who are there feel comfortable. And so they are also social animals, just like we are. And when they recognize that other animals are not afraid of people, then the new arrivals feel like, oh, I can go up to these people and I'm not going to get hurt, <laughs> you know? And, and at a certain point, they start welcoming and enjoying human company. And, you know, pigs, for example, love belly rubs. So you walk up to some of our, our pigs there, you touch their tummy, they'll flop over for a belly rub and, and grunt and com- communicate to you how much they enjoy it. So it, it's creating these relationships with other animals that are positive. They're good for the other animals and they're also good for us. Uh, And you contrast that with what it's like to work in a slaughterhouse where for eight hours a day, people's job is cutting the throats of animals. That's horrible for the animals. And it's also bad for the people. It undermines human empathy. And I think that that's a very important part of our humanity. You know, and at Farm Sanctuary, that's allowed to flourish. It's nurtured. It's supported. It's encouraged. And, you know, the other thing about Farm Sanctuary is that we're very much about incremental steps and speaking to people where they are on their own journeys. Mm -hmm. We realize that not everybody's going to go vegan overnight. So we welcome each step somebody takes and uh, support that and encourage that. And then also encourage people to take additional steps in a positive direction. And I appreciate that so much because I think that's really where the most change happens is when you treat everybody with compassion, including humans. And that includes respecting everyone where they are on their journey, because so many of us did not start out vegan. We haven't been vegan our whole lives. Um, And so we have to go back and to remember where we were at that time and place and how we would appreciate being treated with compassion. So that's how I uh, think about speaking to non-vegans, or that's how I think about going about my activism. But would you mind telling me how long you've been a vegan and what the moment was um, where you realized that advocating for animal rights was your passion and your gift? Well, you know, I've been vegan since 1985, uh, and I was born in 1962. So I've been vegan now, I'd say most of my life. That's amazing. Uh, But I grew up eating meat like everybody around me without thinking about it. And the first time I had any recognition that animals were suffering for food was when my grandmother told me about how veal calves are chained by the neck in crates for their whole lives. And I was in high school at the time. And I remember saying, I will never eat veal, and and I never have. Um, So that was my first recognition. And then also in high school, I remember coming home once, and my mother had made a chicken dinner. And I saw the dead body of this bird on his or her back with the legs and wings attached. And I saw that was a dead body, and I didn't want to eat it. So that night, I didn't eat chicken. And for a large part of high school, I stayed away from meat. Uh, but in college, as I traveled and, and started spending time with other folks who were routinely eating animal products, the habit of eating meat came back. 
but I had this understanding that these were animals and I, I felt a little uncomfortable about eating them. And then also in college, I started learning about uh, the inefficiency of animal agriculture and how it was destroying the planet and how ultimately we could live well without eating other animals. And that to me was sort of the, the final straw when I recognized that I didn't have to eat animal products because I had grown up believing that I needed dairy products or I needed meat for health when in fact I didn't. And so I, I came to then ask myself, if I can live well without causing unnecessary harm, without causing these animals to suffer, without destroying the planet, and if I can live well without eating these animals, why wouldn't I? And I, I went vegan in 1985. Uh, in 1986, I co-founded Farm Sanctuary and started visiting farms to document conditions. And that's when we started rescuing animals. In some cases, animals who had literally been thrown in trash cans, or in some cases, these were animals who'd been left to die on piles of dead animals, living animals thrown on piles of dead animals. So we started rescuing them. And that's how the sanctuaries began. And, you know, one thing just kind of led to the next, you know, we rescued animals and then we realized that it was impossible to rescue the billions of animals who are exploited every year in the food industry. So we realized we needed to work on system reforms and to prevent certain cruelties from occurring. And one of our first campaigns had to do with downed animals, animals too sick to walk, who are literally being dragged onto trucks and taken to slaughter to be used for human food. So we argued that if an animal was down, too sick to walk, they should either be humanely euthanized or given proper veterinary care to be made healthy. So that was one of our first campaigns. And we've continued to operate in a way where we rescue animals, we educate people, and we run campaigns to change the food system so that we can prevent animals from needing to be rescued in the first place, because we're not going to be able to rescue ourselves out of this situation. So mm -hmm. systems reform has always been part of what we do. And I think it's, you know, something we need to continue doing and continue to expand, in fact. So you were you were talking about down animals. And if I am not mistaken, the first animal that you rescued, Hilda, was one of those animals that was too sick to walk, right? That is correct. Hilda is a sheep. Or she, she's no longer with us, but she was a sheep who we found discarded on a pile of dead animals behind Lancaster Stockyards in wow. Pennsylvania. That's... And so we were visiting the stockyard just to document conditions. We walked around the back and there was a pile of dead cows, dead pigs, dead sheep. The maggots were so thick, you could hear them buzzing. Oh it was a hot God. August day. And so the stench was horrible. And off of this dead pile, a sheep lifted her head and she was still alive. And we were shocked. So we took her to the veterinarian thinking she would have to be euthanized. But as he examined her, she started perking up and then she stood up and she ended up living with us for more than 10 years. So that was Hilda, our first rescued animal. And since her now, thousands of others have, have followed in her footsteps. But uh, that's what started our shelter operation was rescuing Hilda off the dead pile. That is absolutely insane that one, those are conditions that take place in in slaughterhouses and everything, but also that animals could just so easily be discarded and not 
uh, properly, like even given any respect um, for sacrificing their lives for people to eat. It's it's so nuts to me that those could be the conditions that those poor animals have to live in before they're ultimately killed, which is horrible enough. But even during their very short lives, they have to live in those disgusting, awful conditions. Yes. Well, they're seen as commodities, not as living, feeling creatures. And in the industry, you know, again, there's this mindset that the animals don't have feelings and that they really don't matter. And, you know, they literally look at these animals as pieces of meat uh, from the day they're born until the day they're killed. And when these animals are sold at auctions, people who buy them don't look into the animal's eyes. They don't try to see who they are and understand if they have feelings or are afraid or anything. The people in the industry are literally looking at muscles and body conformation. They're looking at cuts of meat, not at living, feeling animals. So that is the mindset uh, that has allowed this industry to continue treating animals so badly. And I think there are people within the industry who feel very badly about it and who occasionally look into the animal's eyes and feel something and feel empathy. Uh, But for people in the industry who do it for a long time, they have to cut off their connection to these animals and it's Mm. tragic and it's inhumane and it's, it's bad for the animals and it's also bad for people because, you know, when we lose our empathy, we lose a lot of who we are. That's such a, a, such a good point that I, I think people don't often acknowledge is, what has to happen in order for a person to be able to just slaughter hundreds of animals. They do kind of have to switch off their empathy, which could be damaging in a, in a number of ways. But I think there are a lot of people who do work in the industries um, of, of meat and dairy who really probably are struggling with the fact um, that they have to routinely take the lives of these animals i think that that must be so damaging to so many uh farmers mental health and just well-being overall yes i mean can you imagine what it would be like to work in a slaughterhouse just how violent and (sighs) you know unhealthy that is in so many ways and uh i think oftentimes people who work in those places don't feel like they have other options. And that's why systemically, I think it's so important to begin creating alternatives for people who are in the food industry to be able to make a living in plant-based agriculture instead of animal agriculture. And that, you know, kind of gets back to this idea of the USDA and, and the government supporting a new kind of food system instead of the animal-based system that's become entrenched in policies and in our subsidy programs for decades now. So we need to start recasting that and reforming it so that these people in agriculture have opportunities to make a living without causing harm to other animals or the earth or themselves. This is always one of the reasons why I love speaking to you so much, because you really opened my eyes to thinking about a whole different side of it, like what these farmers have to go through or people who work in slaughterhouses, but you also provide um, a resolution to the problem. You, you provide um, what we can do instead, like, you know, encourage plant-based farming and things like that, which I 
I so appreciate and am really inspired by. Um, and on that same topic, so you've been involved in advocating for laws regarding the banning of gestation crates, veal crates, battery cages, and foie gras, um, which are all very, very awful um, things that happen in in the animal agriculture industry. Um, what were those experiences like for you advocating for what seems like a very bare minimum of humanity that we can show to animals? Um, just these very simple changes that could make their time before their slaughter just a little bit more bearable. Um, what has that been like for you trying to make these changes on, you know, on a like a federal on a government level. Yeah, well, you know, it's been a long slog. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> it takes a lot of time and you know, we started trying to pass laws back in the 1990s to ban some of the worst factory farming cruelties, you know, arguing that animals should be given more space than they were. You know, in the case of pigs in gestation crates, they live in these 2-foot-wide metal enclosures where they can't even turn around or exercise for, for years. And, you know, we felt these animals needed more space. And so we had legislation introduced and it would usually get referred to an agriculture committee, you know, either in Washington, DC or in state capitals. And it would die because agriculture committee members tend to be very friendly with agribusiness mm. and they would not be interested in protecting animals against the industry's cruelties. So, in 2000, we started a new approach and we went through the initiative process. So instead of going through the legislature and the agriculture committee, which is supported by the factory farming industry, we took the issue to the people and we got a measure on the ballot in Florida to be voted on in 2002 to ban gestation crates and to require that pigs used for breeding be given at least enough space to turn around. It was a very modest proposal, uh, but we were able to get that on the ballot and citizens in Florida voted to ban gestation crates. So we were very happy about that. Wow. And it really showed that people don't like to see animals suffer. People oppose cruelty to animals. And we felt that if we could continue doing this and actually passing laws through the initiative process, we could start shifting the industry. And, and thankfully, after the Florida initiative, there have been several others now, including in California, where in addition to banning gestation crates for pigs, we also banned veal crates, saying that these calves need at least enough space to turn around. We also were able to ban battery cages for egg-laying hens. And these are birds that are packing, packed in cages so tightly, they can't even stretch their wings. So those systems are now being phased out not only in California, but also in other states. And so that's part of a system reform. Uh, but, but what is also happening is that as the egg industry and these other industries start coming up with alternatives, um, you know, in the case of egg and egg production, for example, they're going to cage-free systems. And those are certainly less bad than battery cage systems, but they're still not humane and animals still suffer in those. So, in addition to stopping bad practices like battery cages, veal crates, gestation crates, and so on, we need to start to incentivize and support positive plant-based solutions. You know, animal agriculture 
is, is inherently problematic. When, when animals are seen as production units and as commodities to be sold, uh, there are tendencies for these animals to be mistreated. And so ultimately, we need to shift the food industry towards plant-based agriculture. So we need to continue working to stop bad things, you know, like these confinement systems I mentioned. But also now, increasingly, I think, it's going to be important to support, to support plant-based agriculture, plant-based businesses, and to make it easier for consumers to get plant-based foods and for these foods also to be affordable, to be accessible in various communities. And I think that's where kind of the next phase of farm animal advocacy is going to be. I look forward to that. I think that, but I just, again, want to acknowledge that it's really easy to feel overwhelmed in the face of animal rights activism, because this is such a huge issue. It is an issue that has taken years to change and will continue to take many more years because it is so embedded in our society. But you are providing ways that we can move forward in a positive direction in in ways we can actually, you know, make this a reality because the thought of of tomorrow all slaughterhouses close and that's that 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 is never going to happen probably that is such a far-fetched idea um and it's hard because as activists we know and we have to be aware that this road ahead is is a very long one this is not um this is not a short-lived fight so my question to you is what is your advice to somebody who wants to get involved with activism but may not know how to or may be intimidated by how big of an issue this really is? Yeah, well, you know, as you say, it is a a massive undertaking to change our entire food system and to reshape how we interact with and relate to other animals on the planet, especially farm animals who are among the most abused creatures that live on earth today. Um, I think the best thing I could say for people interested in making a difference is each of us every day makes choices about our food. And while there are many things in the world that we don't have a lot of control over, we do have a good bit of control over how we eat and what we eat. And so eating plants instead of animals is a positive concrete step everybody can take. You know, eating plant-based once a week, like Meatless Mondays, for example, is a good thing to do. And thankfully, there are more and more vegan restaurants that make it easier and easier. Places like Veggie Grill, for example, yes, <laughs> that make it a lot easier now than it used to be. So I think as each of us as citizens to, to act in ways that are more aligned with our compassionate values and ultimately also more aligned with our interest to eat food that doesn't destroy the planet the way animal agriculture does mm-hmm. to eat food that doesn't make us sick the way animal products do. So, so that's the first thing I think people can do. Uh, but then secondly, when we start looking at changing systems, it's important to get to know our elected officials. Uh, you know, with Farm Sanctuary, you can sign up on our website for our newsletter and we'll update you when there's legislation that's going to be discussed where you can potentially write to your elected officials and encourage them to take a position and support a bill or oppose a bill or whatever it might be. Um, But but policy change takes time. Uh, 
And it's important to be patient, to realize that this is a marathon more than a sprint. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, I think it's helpful to take, um, so take current, take to feel good about and to celebrate victories, even if they're small victories. And to dwell in that, to dwell in what we can do and the progress we're making, instead of focusing on and dwelling in and being upset by the problems that we're not able to change right now. So for me, it's really about looking at what I can do, you know, whether it's in my own daily habits about what I eat, for example, or whether it's about policy, if I'm able to support a particular piece of legislation and encourage lawmakers to support it, I will do that. Um, And it's frustrating because sometimes legislation goes very slowly. And when you are able to successfully pass it, it's imperfect. But I think we need to still celebrate the victories as small as they may be. And then also educate other people. You know, I, I decided not to eat veal when my grandmother told me how veal calves are raised. So each of us can play a role in educating people about the problems with animal agriculture and also in showing people that plant-based foods are tasty. Um, you know, I think in the past, we've spent a lot of time talking about the problems with factory farming. I think we still need to do that. But unless people know that there is something they can do mm. to avoid factory farming, they sometimes don't want to hear it. And they'll sometimes put up a wall because they feel bad about supporting it and they're not sure what they can do about it. So I think empowering people to eat more plant foods, you know, taking people to vegan restaurants, uh, bringing vegan dishes to social gatherings, sharing recipes are really great ways to empower people to eat food that is not supporting the factory farming system. And so in addition to educating people, it's important to provide tools and advice that helps people make compassionate choices that they can feel good about. And, And then that way, I think, you know, you know, so often what happens when the issue of factory farming comes up, people say, don't tell me, I don't want to know. It's too upsetting. And I think one reason people say that is because they don't believe that they can actually make a change. And, and they, and so they're, they feel bad about themselves and they don't feel like they have a choice. But if you can show people that there's a choice, I think it's a lot easier to see the reality of factory farming and then for people to make changes. Absolutely. And everything you said is quite accessible to most people. Um, obviously, this is, like you said, a marathon, not a sprint. Um, but there are things that we could do every single day that will help end cruelty. And it will be a long road ahead. But everybody who contributes will make this more efficient, faster, will bring justice to these animals uh, more quickly. And that's what I always say to people who maybe aren't interested in, in fully committing to veganism right now is, well, maybe just try doing meatless Mondays or, or a few meals a week without meat or do, going vegan for a day. Because every single time you choose to not eat an animal product, you are making a change. And that might be hard for some people to believe because they may think they're just one person. How are they going to make a change? But there is the, the supply and demand aspect of, of food. And, and if the less people who consume 
animal products, the less of a demand there will be, the less animals that will have to die because it is a business and they really aren't thinking about these animals' lives. They're thinking about money. So I really do think that's so important to acknowledge that even though it can be intimidating entering this space of, of animal rights activism because it is such um, such a big issue, there are so many things that we can do on a daily basis to make change. And I also love what you said about celebrating small victories because i remember when we were speaking about prop 12 you had told me that some animal rights organizations weren't supporting it because they did not believe that it was good enough and i just remember being so upset and like you had to basically like calm me down and explain because I was so confused as to how Prop 12 wouldn't have support of of everyone in the animal rights um, activism space. And it it was because they weren't willing to celebrate these small victories because they they want change now. And that's just not realistic. And I think it's so important to celebrate all the small victories that we are able to make, including like giving an animal enough space to turn around. That's a, as it seems like the bare minimum, but it's a huge thing. It's such a big accomplishment. And we need to celebrate every single one of those because it's just one step closer to ending animal cruelty. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, when we celebrate small victories, I think it actually helps to build momentum for more victories, you know, and so that's the other aspect of it. And, and it's calling it as it is, you know, it's, it's better, but it's not humane still in many cases, you know, but if I'm an animal, uh, and I am going to be exploited and confined and then killed, you know, I would rather have more space. And, and these types of kind of internal debates in various movements are not new. I mean, these types of discussions have occurred for hundreds of years, you know, during the abolitionist movement and many other things. Uh, and there are different approaches, but I think plurality and diversity are really important uh, in the animal rights movement. Uh, and also it's important to find common ground and build from there as opposed to groups fighting against each other, which is always very unfortunate. But there's an awful lot to do. There's an awful lot that groups can do working together. But if people don't agree on something, then each can do their own thing. And that's fine. Yeah. But, but thankfully, we're starting to make progress. And um, there's more awareness now than ever about factory farming. And when people start worrying about not being able to do something, I think it really is important to recognize that each of us every day, as you were saying, make choices. And we do have a lot of control over what we eat. And those choices really do add up. And when we vote with our dollars, we are starting to support a different kind of food system instead of the factory farming food system. And that, over time, is starting to make some significant changes. You have major meat industry companies now actually investing in plant-based proteins, uh, plant-based burgers and things. So the marketplace is very important. And, and oftentimes I believe, you know, when the marketplace starts shifting 
then you also start seeing policies and laws shift. So, you know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's, that's the other thing that happens. So th- this is going to be a multifaceted approach. So there's going to be some legislation to stop some bad things. There's going to be the marketplace and businesses to start doing good things. And then I think also policy that then starts to increasingly support and subsidize more good things and transitions. And and we're at a time now where I think uh, we're, we're really well positioned to see some significant changes going forward. I could not agree with you more. And I so deeply appreciate everything that you have done and continue to do for the animal rights movement. You are really one of the pioneers in this movement, in my opinion, and I know in many others' opinions. And it's just so cool to see somebody truly walk the walk, not just talk the talk, and be doing all these, uh, you know, participating in all these different aspects of activism by trying to get laws made and also educating people and also allowing people to make real life connections with these animals. Because to me, that's one of the most important parts is to be able to meet these animals that your diet affects. And you are allowing us to have access to all those parts of activism. So I just want to thank you so much for everything that you've done and for making veganism so much more accessible by your activism and for really making the world a better place for animals. So thank you so much for everything you do. And thank you so much for coming on our podcast to talk about it with me. Well, well, thank you so much, Harley. It's always so great talking with you. And I'm hugely grateful also for everything you do. You know, we are in this together, right? And we've got a long way to go, but we're (laughs) taking steps and it's been wonderful meeting with you over the years. And remember that one time we met at Veggie Grill and you were wearing that boycott veal shirt that you got at a, at a uh, yes. vintage store, an old farm sanctuary shirt. That was so cool. So, so you also bring like a, a an artfulness and uh, an approach to these issues, I think, that are reaching new audiences. And that's really important. And I'm really grateful for that too. Well, thank you. I I wouldn't be able to do it without you having paved the way for me and also inspiring me and sharing your knowledge with me. So thank you so much. And and I learned from you as well. So we'll we'll just yeah, keep on talking and keep on pushing and bit by bit things are getting a little bit better and uh then eventually we'll have the vegan world we dream about, hopefully, right? Yes, absolutely. We will we will continue to have these conversations and help spread the word. And one day, hopefully we will reach this ideal, more compassionate world that we have in mind. Clean Gene Bauer. (laughs) Vegan as hell, man. I would have said vegan vegan. as fuck, but they want us to chill out with the F-bombs. But you just said it anyways. So vegan as fuck. (laughs) Uh, Vegan as fuck, man. And doing it for the animals. Putting his money where his mouth is. One thing to be like, I love animals. Let's raise money for these causes. Another thing to be like, and here's the property, and here's you can see the result of all the hard work, and these animals are going to live happily ever after right here. We're building an ark. He's a modern day fucking Noah. He really is. But it, 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 what a, I mean, what a pure agenda in life. He is probably one of the the most kind, uh, compassionate vegans I've ever met through my four years of of being here in this community. He is. Just truly an angel on earth. The um, 
the work that they do over the farm sanctuary, uh, of course, uh, has a lot to do with donations and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in order to donate, go to farmsanctuary.com. Is that what it is? I'm going to guess it's .org. .org? Right. They're one of them orgs, right? Right. Because yeah. isn't that short for... Because Gene Barrow will give a goddamn organ for these animals. Hey. He puts his heart out there. <laughs> it's true. It is farmsanctuary.org. .org. Um, check them out. Uh, I mean, you heard them talking about it, but... Go check it out. I've been there myself. Can you just, are people allowed to just go? No. Um, I think they do. Well, not during COVID times, I'm Obviously. assuming, but they do weekly tours. Mm. So you can sign up and go anytime. And it's pretty wonderful. And they also have an educational part of the tour, I believe, where they talk a little bit about like the confinement that animals experience in, in the meat and dairy industries. But then you get to see all these free animals living their best lives. So it's it's like such a great balance between education, but then also seeing these completely free beings that all pretty much every single one of them came from cruelty. So it's just so crazy because they were some of the the very, 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 very small portion of animals that actually got a chance at living their lives. Um, I can't be better than Gene Barrow in this life, but I can. No one can live uh, an ex- the example by creating the bee sanctuary. This is where wow. all the bees can go. Wow. That. Man, I'm telling you, this fucking video still haunts Wait, me, obviously. I think before the episode ends, you should just briefly recount um, the one B video of the woman and her friend. That's a happy story. Yeah, yeah to end so, on a happy note. That's good. Good point, man. Good but point. you might cry. Good point. He uh, cries when yes. he thinks You, you of need this. to be hopeful, not be pessimistic. There's a lot of pessimism in the bee community. <laughs> As we know, <clears throat> I don't know how the fuck they know that, but they know it. How do they know? I, know. I really can't understand. And it's like if you know, if a, if you can say, hey, this bee is pessimistic. Are they like, hey, here's the upbeat bee. And he's like, hey, we're going to get through it, everybody. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope are always, so. I really are hope always so. darkest right before the dawn. Let's get to work. I really <laughs> think there's some optimism in the bee community to <laughs> average it out. Fucking based on this video I saw. God, no wonder there's no optimism. But never mind that sad video. Here's the happy video. So the Dodo, which is a heartbreaking fucking site. It's true. Where they put up story after story that will like just melt and break your heart, make Destroy it tear your soul up. Oh, and then bring it back. <laughs> yes. And and it's generally they do it in three minutes. Some of the best filmmakers on the planet. It's so true. Work for the Dodo because they take you on a fucking journey and you don't even have to leave your chair man you don't um and they give you hope about fucking mankind uh, you know because of the way people these very special people interact with animals and stuff all these great stories where you know they're from all over the world so you got somebody who's just like i met a pig and then the pig became me friend (laughs) and (laughs) and they fucking hang out and go to pubs and shit and you're like this is fucking nuts this is sitcom this is amazing but then there's always like, but then the pig got sick. And then you're like, no, his friend got sick. You know, but then, you know, but then me pig got better and everything's good. And then you're like, fucking A, it's got a happy ending. But there was one that of a British lady a who became friends with a bee that couldn't fly. And she's like, oh, I named the bee, bee. And she was my friend. And 
she would be happy to see me and she lived on the flower and then she would climb onto my hand and she would speak to me in my ear and walk around and she would sit on my shoulder. This fucking British woman had this like compelling relationship with a bumblebee that couldn't fly. It it was compelling. And I was like, this fucking rocks. These two found each other and shit. Who fucking looks that closely to find, you know, somebody that much in need? This lady was like the, you know, me with the ants, but with a fucking bee. It's true. And, but then, you know, it fucking, it's like a behind the music fucking VH1 behind the music special where there's always a sad, you know, act. <laughs> there's middle act two of those shows was always like, and then the drugs kicked in. <laughs> and then, you know, they fucking fix things back three. But this is like some circle of life shit. Whenever you're getting animal stories, you know, three out of 10 have to deal with, you know, animals die where you're like, don't fucking tell me that. I don't need to be reminded. So this is a story about how like B, she's like, and then I noticed that she was getting slower and she was dying. And then she died. She was gone and she was my friend. And I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Oh my god, they found each other and lost each other. He cried so much. Oh, it fucking still affects me he, to this day. He cried the it still affects you. Still. That it just makes me it's I really like that that one really got you. Cause no it's so easy to have a relationship with a dog. They're lovable cats, they're fucking cuddly and shit like that. You never hear the story. You know, every once in a while they're like, look at this guy and his duck. They're best buddies, and you're like, that's fucking weird. That's but true. a bee? That's that's the first time I've ever heard that story. That's maybe. like some Charlotte's Web shit right there, where it's like, the, the, maybe not Charlotte's Web, because the bee would have got caught in the web, and Charlotte would have been like, this is how I live, Wilbur, and he eats the bee and shit. They had some circle of life shit in that as well. That's true. That movie's so sad. You know, for years, we've been anthropomorphizing fucking insects animals everything right that's not a human giving them personalities and cartoons and people are always like hey man they don't fucking they're not humans they don't think like humans and shit i that's 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 lazy thinking if a bee can feel pessimism you know and fucking who doesn't in 2020 True. but like if a bee can feel pessimism bee can feel love bee can feel fucking joy ambition just because like the ambitions aren't yours just because it's like, oh, what are they, what are they ambitious about? Making fucking honey for the queen. They're fucking drones, man. But it's like, maybe that's their joy in life and whatnot. It's and motherfuckers true. come in and they're like, thanks for the honey. And then they, you should see how to kill these bees. Fucked up. We were ending on a high note. Point is, everything deserves to fucking live and breathe. You know, it's a miracle that anything gets born in this fucking world. It's true. Cause it's against all fucking odds. And it just is always, you know, not based on any faith or anything, but it's always seemed to me that like, you know, as precious as life is, that extends all the way, you know, up and down the chain and shit. You know, if something's trying to kill you, like if I'm in the ocean and a shark is trying to eat me alive, then you better damn skippy man if i had the pre- presence of mind i'd be trying to kill that fucker get free or at least just get away i'm not sitting there going i'm gonna murder you but maybe afterwards if he bit my leg and i was one-legged for the rest of my life and i was like, I'm gonna find that shark and kill it like fucking ahab or something like that but generally speaking you know fucking fighting to survive understandable stepping on some shit because you can is just like you know the height of cruelty and everything feels something for years. They've told us that like fucking they don't feel things they do. So anything with a feeling, you know, 
I bet you, you watch within 20 years, they're going to teach us that plants have feelings and shit. And then we're fucked because we got nothing to eat except plants don't old have shoes. a nervous system. That's, yeah. But either there's jellyfish and that motherfucker's alive. I bet you jellyfishes feel pessimism as well. They're like, fucking shit sucks. I wish I lived by the ocean. Do jellyfish. <laughs> I wish I lived in London. <laughs> okay. Anywho. <laughs> uh, point is, stop fucking with bees. The old lady had a friend, and the friend died because of fucking. How do you, do you think it was born without wings, or do you think those wings <gasps> got clipped by maybe? Some, oh wow, full circle. You know moment. what I'm saying? Maybe that bee escaped, like crawled away from a from a honey farm, and its wings were clipped, and then it found the woman. No. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just trying to hold back the tears because now you're making it even more hardcore what a struggle that fucking bee had to go through it this is apropos there. of nothing but i just read an article about franklin delano Rose, delano roosevelt fdr right mm -hmm. old president um and he was in a wheelchair like from the time he was elected like he was struck by adult polio i guess so by 25 well they thought polio but then they said it's not that it might be this current disease called gbs or something like that but in any event, um, like ran while he, you know, they, they kept kind of hiding it to be like, well, you know, he's got a bad hip, but if elected, you better believe that, you know, his hip's going to mend and he'll be leading the country. And the entire time that he was our president, he was in a wheelchair and they kept all images of it. Oh, yeah. Hidden. I did know that. And out of view. But, um, you know, now there's been a movement to change that. Because it's not to be hidden, it's to be celebrated. Like, that's historic. He was our first president with a disability. Yeah. So, point of telling that story was, in order for him to give speeches and shit, he would have to get there before the crowds because, all, you know, they're bringing him in a wheelchair and stuff. But some buildings back then didn't have elevators. So then he would have to be carried up staircases and shit. They gave the, the story, I think it was his daughter or his granddaughter told the story about him having to give a speech at this one place where the staircase to get to it was they could, it could not, nobody could carry him. It could, it was only one person, the width of one person mm -hmm. total. So he had to literally drag himself wow. up the stairs to get to that level where they then prompted him up and put him at the podium and shit like that. And, you know, they, his daughter or granddaughter, whoever it was said, like, if, you know, they, they all lived in terror that a photographer mm -hmm. would catch that image of the fucking president like crawling. Um, but that would be a powerful image today because mm -hmm. instead of then it was considered like, oh, that would show him weak. It's like weak. That shows a motherfucker so willing to lead that like he will fucking crawl up a fucking staircase to like give people hope and shit like that. So I don't know. I found that oddly fascinating. Has nothing to do with the fucking bee story, but it is pretty powerful. It's but pretty powerful. It, story. Do, it does because this bee had to. Had Dra to that's walk. right. It does. You're right. It has everything to do with this, this fucking bee. bee had story to walk. Bee. This bee had to drag the itself. The bee had no wings, so the bee had to walk on its very small legs. Yes, and found someone you know to to love her. That fucking bee story He's still He's to this crying. day. <laughs> <laughs> to um, know that kind of kindness before you leave this world like no it's true incredible anyway that's why you should be kind to animals yeah fucking stop killing ants is the point <laughs> <laughs> and um
Um, I guess we'll be more compassionate to answer. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> That's what this whole episode was about. Um, I just had to squirt a few and I got my way. <laughs> from there it is. <laughs> from a girl and her dad. <laughs> the never ending adventure <laughs> of a girl and her dad. <laughs> Took a long time to get to this point. <laughs> <laughs> For Vegan Abattoir, I'm Kevin Smith. And I'm Harley Quinn Smith. Get out of our Vegan Abattoir. <laughs> <laughs>